all of last year with everything, and uh, we're doing quite a bit, so we're happy to bless them with a week off, and now you get to put up with me for the next hour or so. So if you look back behind me, you see Salty Christian. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be a Salty Christian. A lot of people look at it, and they see this, and they think, oh, it's salt and light. We're all just salt and light. Well, that's true to an extent, but it's so much more than that. So I look at a salty Christian as a seasoned Christian that has reached a point in their walk where they have come to two realizations. The first is that they really don't know anything and that Jesus knows everything. The second is that while they may not like the answer that they get from Jesus, they're going to do it anyway because of their love for him and because they want to please him as their father and Lord. So, if we actually look at the scripture in Galatians 1.10, this is the uh, complete Jewish Bible. It says, now, does that sound as if I were trying to win human approval? No, I want God's approval. Or that I am, excuse me, trying to cater to people. If I were still doing that, I would not be a servant of the Messiah. So this is Paul talking to the church in Galatia, who has had... A little bit of an issue. They had some people coming in behind them, uh, or excuse me, behind Paul during his missionary journey that are trying to move them back toward Judaism. And the Galatians aren't Jews to begin with. They're Hellenized Greeks, uh, Romans. It's a province of Rome. They're not even remotely close to being Jews, yet you have what they call Judaizers coming in to try and make them adhere to the law if you don't know anything about the, the history at this point, the temple is still standing in Jerusalem, and that's the center of Judaism. So Christianity was seen as a sect of Judaism. It wasn't seen as an individual faith at that point. So you have all these Judaizers coming in trying to make their points. So the actions of a salty Christian in, in the respect to this passage, and, and your whole life really is two things. One, discern the lies of the enemy, and then when you are able to discern them, to confront them. So we're going to go through a few things here and there about some different lies that we might believe, some that I've believed over the years, and hopefully you'll recognize a little bit there and maybe learn how to figure out what lies you actually believe, and then how to attack those and banish those from your life. So we believe all sorts of lies. So I spent some time in the army, and I believed the same lie every day for about four and a half years until I became an NCO, a sergeant. And that was that no matter what, I was actually going to get out on time, just like the first sergeant promised at 6 o'clock in the morning, that I was going to be off by 5. It never happened. I can maybe think of one or two occasions when it actually happened. But for the most part, an entire group of us, lower enlisted, right, so in that company, there was probably about 120 of us actually thought every day that this was going to happen, yet it almost never did. So it's kind of anecdotal, but it's one of those things. It's like we believe stupid lies like that every day, but it never happens, right? It never comes to fruition. It's always attacking us, and it puts us down. When we believe something like that, it lowers our morale. It makes us think less of the people that we work for. And then it makes us question ourselves and our entire uh, identity and everything that we believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
So going back to Paul with this, he's got all these, all these Judaizers coming in and all these lies that are happening, right? So he has to confront this. And because there's no Facebook at the time, there's no Instagram, you know, there's no parlor, there's no none of this, no Twitter, he can't just punch it out and be like, hey, geniuses, why are you forgetting what we taught you? So this is what he says in the beginning of Galatians, in, in uh, the opening. He says, I can't believe your fecklessness. How easily you have turned traitor to him who called you by grace of Christ by embracing a variant message. It's not a minor variation, you know. It's completely other, an alien message, a no message, a lie about God. Those who are provoking this agitation among you are turning the message of Christ on its head. So just think about it for a moment and, and ask yourself, is there something that I believe that's contrary to Scripture or to the nature of Jesus? And if that's true, then that needs to be dealt with before you can achieve your next spiritual level, if you want to put it. Right? Before you can go farther, you have to start chipping away at these. And as you go farther, you'll realize that there's more things that you believe that are contrary. So you have to chip away at that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So all our lives were influenced by our surroundings. Sometimes that's for the good, and sometimes that's for the bad. And I think we can all agree that we've been in those situations where we bring people into our lives who are good influences on us, and we bring people into our lives who are bad influences on us. Um, so that's something, again, that we need to look at. Those are lies as well. We may have been taught some of these lies by our parents, by teachers, even by pastors. There's plenty of misinformation out there these days when you look around. It doesn't take long to find it. So what are some of the lies that you've been taught? How about in order to be saved, you have to do this? An example, you must attend every service at your local church or you're going to hell, right? This is a little extreme, but I know some people who, who have thought that way at various points in their lives. Or how about King James Version only? If you don't use the King James in the original 17th century language, well, then you're going to hell. I actually, I was diving into this a few years ago, and I got on a forum somewhere, or, or I think maybe it was the comments in, a, in an article, and somebody had the audacity to actually make that statement. If you do not read your Bible in the original King James Version, then you are going to hell. So a bunch of people who aren't um, uh, English speakers in their first language got on there, and they're like, um... English is like my third language, and I read it in Spanish, or I read it in German, or I read it in Dutch. So are we all going to hell? And the guy, he's not joking. You can tell by his tone. He said, yes. Where do, you, where do people get these ideas? I don't know. Fortunately, I, I, was, I was never in that cult, but, you know, it's okay. You can read something other than King James, okay, from me. That's, that's from me. Remember, I'm your friend. My name is Marcus. I'm your friend, okay, like pastor. Maybe not quite like pastor, but... Here's another one. If you don't pray in tongues, or if you do pray in tongues, because depending on which side you're on, if you pray in tongues, you're going to hell, because that's not of God. And on the other side, if you, do pray, if you don't pray in tongues, then you know, you're just not blessed enough, and, and we don't know what's wrong with you. So it's not one or the other, okay? It's, you, can, you can be either or on that spectrum. Just because you don't doesn't mean that you're going to hell, and just because you do doesn't mean you're going to hell. Um, or works. You know, a lot of people get into this work thing where, where they have to continue to do this. Islam is really based on that. If you guys aren't aware of that, 
if you look at the Quran and you look at Islam, it's to the point where some of the, the more dedicated folks will actually count the steps every day as they go to the mosque because that counts as a good work, every step. Are you kidding me? I have an app that does that for me, but I'm not doing that. Okay, so how about these ones? If you're not a real Christian, if, uh, or, or if not, if you wear makeup. There's, there's plenty of sex in Christianity where, you know, the women are told you can't wear makeup or you have to wear a dress and it's got to be ankle length or it can't be uh, above the knee. Okay, I mean, give me a break. Okay, um, let's see. Oh, if you have tattoos. I just taught a tattoo class here a few weeks ago. Okay, I have tattoos. Okay, I'm sure other people do. I know there's a few around here. All right, I don't know about you guys. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But listen, if you have a tattoo, it doesn't matter. You can still go to, you can still go to, the, go to heaven with a tattoo. You can still go to hell with a tattoo. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so let's see. Oh, and of course, pastor's favorite, drinking, smoking, or chewing, and hanging out with those that are doing. None of that matters. But we, we focus on these things because it makes us feel better, and it makes us feel more self-righteous when somebody else is doing that and we're not, right? So it's all a feel-good. That's not gospel. Get rid of it. Just put it away. Okay, so while some of these seem ridiculous, I hope, well, maybe, I don't hope. Some of you guys have probably encountered these before. Um, Some of them have been around for a long time. Some of them are fairly new. A lot of people trace this back to the modern holiness movement uh, in America, you know, where America really kind of got into this. But it started long before that in Europe with the Methodists, with the Wesley brothers and their thing. And I think they meant well because they were trying to set people apart But like anything else, sometimes it gets taken to the extreme, and then that's where people abide. I don't know why they abide there. It makes them feel good, I guess, to to try and hold these things. But it's a standard that you can't live up to. It's the same thing as the law. The law was not there for you to try and live up to it. The law was there to prove how worthless you actually are in your own spirit trying to adhere to the law. That's why we have grace. Thank thank Jesus. Because if we didn't have grace, I think we'd all be up a river. Okay, so here's, a, here's one thing. I, I really want to get this across. We talk about these guys. You know, we talk about the Wesley brothers. We talk about guys like Robbie Zacharias, and we talk about guys like Billy Graham. Their walk is their walk. You are not called to be like other Christians. You're called to be like Christ. When you emulate another Christian, you're actually degrading the value of Jesus, and you're placing that other Christian even though you might be discipled by that person, you might be encouraged by that person, you're still placing them in that, along that same line as Jesus. That's a no-no. Let's not do that. Okay? So what about theological lies? There's all sorts of theological lies out there. Okay? Pastor Kevin talked a bit about this last week. When we come across something that we don't understand, we really like to just package it up, and we tend to build these theological arguments you know, using our own reasoning and it's not based on any sort of biblical understanding. We don't understand this point. So we're going to build a construct that allows us to feel better about ourselves and that point. And then we're just going to leave it there. Not really a, a way to go about it. That's not, it doesn't work well with hermeneutics. And it doesn't work well when you try to take that whatever construct you've built and then you try to jive it with the rest of Scripture. Those together are not going to, it's not going to pan out well for you in the end, okay? So, 
How many of you guys have ever taken a survey? I can't be the only one. Okay. So you guys have taken a survey. Anybody ever taken a survey on your Christian beliefs? No? Okay. Yeah. So, so look around. That should tell you something. So this is a, a survey that's done every two years by Lagoiner Ministries and Lifeway Research. And here's a few points from that that I want to just bring to your attention. This is American evangelicals. Okay. I'm not exactly sure what the sample size was. I think it was around 5,000, but here we go. So out of all of the American evangelicals that were surveyed with this particular survey, 42% believe that God accepts the worship of all religions. That's almost half, 42%. So I think there's a problem here. I don't know where the disconnect is. I don't know where they're getting their teaching from or what they're reading, but they're obviously not reading scripture, and they're obviously not getting biblical teachings if they think that Islam, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism are all worshiping the same God. First off, they're mutually exclusive. Islam, Christianity, and Judaism are all mutually exclusive. So that means that if you don't believe in ex exactly what it says, in our case, if you don't believe in Christ having been uh, crucified and then resurrected as the Son of God, then you're not, that's not Jesus. You're not believing in Jesus. You might call yourself a Christian. A lot of Americans call themselves Christians, right? Well, they're born here, and, you know, it's a, well, for the most part, when I was growing up, it was mostly a Christian culture. We're kind of get away from that now. But it's one of those things that I, I don't know where people get this, so we're going to look at a couple things. So while this kind of thinking is widespread uh, today, if you guys have been keeping up with the news, I know there's been a lot going on. Last Sunday, they opened up the 117th Congress. Did anybody happen to hear the prayer? Okay, so I'm going to highlight a, a piece of it, and probably not the piece you think, okay? So uh, this gentleman, uh, he's a representative, Emmanuel Cleaver. He closed his prayer with this. We ask in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, right? And God known by many names and many different faiths. Okay, I'm not a genius. I've had some experience. I've had some encounters with, with the Lord. I'm pretty sure that Brahma is not on that list. And uh, I'm pretty sure that while he is mono, I mean, we are monotheistic. We worship a singular God. Um, you know, it doesn't usually work. That, we don't usually pray that way. It's kind of odd to me. So it stuck out. So I figured, well, let's look at it. So in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Sounds pretty exclusive. I mean, it doesn't sound like Brahma is in that list. Me is, is I'm, I'm not a grammar expert, but it's singular. So I would assume that Jesus talking about it would mean Jesus, not somebody else. So, okay, so there's one. So what, what, what else do we have here? Okay, um, Acts, 14, Acts 4.12. So Peter is speaking to the rulers and the elders, and he says, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The context there is he's talking about Jesus to the elders. So, again, I, I don't know if I missed something. Maybe I missed it when I was in college and I didn't, I didn't hear that part where Brahma is, is included in that. But, okay. So then, a little more. Romans 10, 13. This is Paul writing his letter to the churches in Rome. And he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, what's the name of the Lord? Jesus, Jehovah, 
okay? You know, Emmanuel, Yahweh, right? Brahma is not one of those. Like I said, it's not on the list, okay? So a full 30% of those evangelicals that were surveyed believe Jesus was a great teacher, but he wasn't God. Okay, so I don't understand. These folks consider themselves to be evangelicals. The survey, when they, when they were doing this, they asked them specific questions to categorize them to where they are, and these people were categorized by the survey into the evangelical portion, and yet they're still saying that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. This is 30%, almost a third. Again, what are we teaching? I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, you know, I live in my little bubble here, and I watch some things here and there, and that kind of thing, like most of us, but I don't know where this is coming from. No church that I've ever been in of any credit has said anything like this. So when you guys are, when we're going out and we're talking to people and we have these conversations, I know COVID has kind of put a damper on some of that, but when we're having these conversations with, with folks, these are some things that we need to think about confronting and talking about. We don't have to bash them, right? We're not trying to, to throw an entire seminary's worth of theological arguments at, at them for this. It's just talking them through it. And I find, personally, that the more I talk to somebody on a person-to-person basis, the more I get through to them. Not trying to, you know, grab my Bible and beat them over the head with it. It's not the days like it used to be, you know, where you got guys on every corner preaching hell and damnation. That just turns people off for the most part. But when you sit down and you have that conversation with them, you can confront these lies. Okay? You confront them in yourself first, and then you help them. They may not want help. And that's okay. You know, the Bible says that not everyone's going to get saved. But we should try, at least try. And having that conversation is not that difficult. It's, you know, you do it in a comfortable environment. It's not one of those things where you walk up to some stranger on the street and you're like, hey, listen, you, you believe a lie. Right? That's, that doesn't work. You've got to have those conversations with people that are close to you. So back on this, you know, people believing that Jesus was a great teacher but he wasn't God. Would, did you know that even the demons knew who he was? Okay, so the demons, when Jesus encounters them, knows who he is. And the first, the first time that we see this uh, is in Matthew. Matthew chapter 8, verse 29 says, And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Almost sounds like an insult. Have you come here to torment us before the time? So obviously they have some understanding of what's going on and they recognize who he is. Even though he's in physical form and he's not in spiritual form, they're able to pick him out from a crowd. Right? Yeah, it is kind of mind-boggling. Okay. So they recognize the spirit that's there. So then furthermore, in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 23 and 24, so now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. And he cried out saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Do you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So if 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 the demonic forces can recognize that Jesus is the Son of God, why can't a full thirty percent of evangelicals figure that out? It's right here. It's in the first two gospels, Matthew and Mark. I mean, even if you only read the first one. You know, it's like a four-part installment, right? So even if you only read the first part, at least you got, you know, one incident of it. 
Thank you, Nisi. So a further 23% of evangelicals surveyed believe religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. Wow. 23%, so almost a quarter. I'm not a math expert. I round up. So almost a quarter. So, again, I scratch my head at this. So we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. So basically, he's bringing everything back to the resurrection, and he's saying, listen, if you guys can't figure out this basic tenant, right, then your faith is, is for naught. You might as well go do something else. Go to the beach. Go hang out. Go surfing. Whatever it is. That's obviously not what you believe. Yet, almost a quarter of evangelicals agreed with this statement. Just concerning to me. So by believing things that are contrary to Jesus' nature, what we're actually doing is we're creating a false idol. When we do that, we're, worship, we're not worshiping Jesus, we're worshiping that idol. So the question that we have to ask ourselves from time to time, we have to do this all in personal review, right, is am I changing the nature of Jesus in what I believe? Or am I believing in Christ? One of the things that I've dealt with over the course of my life, uh, being in the army and being, you know, in the job that I'm at now, I deal with a lot of rough guys, right? A lot of guys who are, who are very testosterone-driven, myself included. And, uh, you know, Lee was a fireman. He'll, he'll attest the same kind of thing. You know, it's a very testosterone-driven environment, and uh, it's a very alpha male environment. You know how hard it is to relate Jesus to guys like that? It's very difficult. So there's a guy, um, I actually didn't put it in my notes, he wrote a book. He was the chaplain for 2nd Ranger Battalion out of Fort Lewis. His name is John McDougall. He wrote a book called Jesus Was an Airborne Ranger. And the whole concept there was to bring the personhood of Jesus to men who, when they look at Jesus, they see as he's portrayed, right, in, in movies and as he's portrayed in the church today a lot of times as fairy Jesus. So he's trying to bring them back to Christ. You're talking about a guy who's a carpenter, in the first century A.D. Power tools don't exist. So every log is hand-hewn, hand-cut, right? I mean, I couldn't imagine the forearms on this dude. So we tend to, to bring things in to our perception of Jesus, and we base what we're worshiping on that perception rather than opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to Jesus and let him show us who he is. Does that make sense? Okay. So now we're going to move into some more personal stuff. All right. Personal lies. We have a tendency sometimes to think that we're the only ones that believe these things. To think that, you know, it's just me, or, or sometimes we take something that somebody said about us, and then we just blow that up, right? Because we dwell on these things. Um, so... Oftentimes, this comes either as a voice of accusation from the enemy, or sometimes it's in your own voice. I think most of the time, it's probably in your own voice. I know in my life, it's been in my own voice. 
I know uh, there's a lot of reports that suicide victims, what, when, what they're hearing is in their own voice, right? And it's as if they don't recognize the individual saying that, but they recognize the voice. So how about this one? This is, this is a good one. God doesn't love you. How many times have you thought that? That's, that's a lie. That's, that's something that you need to banish from your life. So Isaiah 54.10, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. So if we believe everything that's in Scripture, right, we believe that it's infallible, then we have to believe that statement. And that's hard sometimes because we know ourselves and we're our worst critic. So we're hardest on ourselves more than we are anybody else. So sometimes we've got to kind of realign. That's why reading and being in the Word is so important because it helps to... Uh, fortify you against these things. How about this one? Pastor talks about this one every once in a while. Oh, what about that thing you did yesterday or last week or, or last month? Okay. Well, in Romans 8.1, it says, there is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying you can go out and do whatever you want. But when you make a mistake, it's okay. You come back to that you seek forgiveness, and you repent, and you move on, okay? But oftentimes, that holds us up in our destiny, in our ministry, and it stops us from continuing that path forward and deepening the relationship. So this is a prophesying church. This is a prophetic church. So what about, oh, you can't prophesy. I know a lot of people who've heard that who've said that in the class, like, no, 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 I can't do that. They might not say it just like that, but they're wary of it. They don't understand it. I was that way for a little bit where I didn't really understand it, um, and it took me a long time to come around to that point and to understand both the prophetic and healing and how that actually operates versus what my perception was for years before, and that was shaped by other things. But this is one of those things that we have to overcome. So for that one, 1 Corinthians 14.31, for you can all prophesy one by one with the result that all will learn something and all will be encouraged. So if you're thinking, even thinking about it, that you can or you can't, and you've never experienced it, the next time there's a school of the prophetic or there's a fire starters, come out. If for no other reason than to just observe, listen and understand. I've been through both a couple times. We've sat through once, I don't know, twice I think each. So it's interesting. I learn more every time. And then having these conversations with Pastor and with some of the other guys, with Heinrich and with Rika and, and with Shelly, you know, we, we, we gain a little bit of understanding here and there. Nobody has all the answers, right? Jesus is the only one with all the answers, as we stated before. We know nothing. So we have to look to him. But we can still learn from each other, learn from each other's mistakes and learn from each other's successes. So these lies come in all shapes and sizes. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but when I was a kid, I had an extremely hard time learning to read. So in that, I mean, it was, I was probably third grade before I could really read at a functional level. And I'm not talking about a third grade level, just at a functional level. So I beat myself up about that for a long time, trying to figure out what, what was the problem? What's my issue that's causing this? I went, went through some tutoring, both in school and out of school, and I got to the point where everything was, you know, was, was good. I could read. I still hated reading. I read very slow. I still read very slow. But this is what I finally figured out. And what, what was it, about 30, 35 when I figured it out? Okay. 
So about somewhere between four and ten years ago. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> you can do the math, okay? So it turns out I'm dyslexic. So I have, a, I have a tendency to flip letters and move lines and things like that. So I figured out a bunch of tricks to get there. But that held me back for a long time. And it's like I realized that it's not, I'm not an idiot. You know, I know what's going on. It's just I, I struggle in this area, and I couldn't understand why. My parents couldn't understand why because they never had this problem. So, you know, it's, they tried their best. They did everything they could for me, but they didn't understand the problem. So they, they really couldn't help in that respect. It's not like they had personal experience with that. So, I, I mean, look, I didn't read a book cover to cover until I was 25. And even then, it took me almost a month. Okay, we're talking, I don't know, a 300-page book. Okay? I just had a lot of time on my hands at that moment. And I was really bored. So, you know, that's what got me through it. And then after that is when I kind of started picking up more and more and more. I'll still read normally today, but most of my stuff is on Audible or on another audio platform because I can intake audible things very quickly. I'm more of an auditory learner than I am a uh, visual learner. So it took me 30 years to overcome that, 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 that lie from the beginning to the end. Um, it stopped me from going to college. It stopped me from excelling in certain areas, mostly because I couldn't keep up with the pace that was set. But now that I figured that out, forget it. I know how to work around it. But that's a lie that I believed in myself, and I had to get rid of that. So once I learned how it affected me, I was able to turn it into a strength. Um, so you believe lies like these or maybe others. The important thing is that you seek out those lies through the Holy Spirit and you banish them from your life as quickly as possible. Some of them will take time. Hopefully it doesn't take you 25 or 30 years to do it. Okay? But we're going to lay out a path here in a minute that will help you to get there quickly if you want to push forward or at least give you an idea of what you need to do going forward. So how do we guard ourselves from these lies? Well, the first thing is pray. Communication with the Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit will aid you in, one, understanding what the lies are that you believe, and two, what you need to do. It may be something as simple as you just need to recognize it and just let God know that you don't want that in your life anymore. It may be something that's much more deeper rooted, and you may need to seek assistance with that in one way or another. And we'll get into that here in a minute too. Consume scripture as much as possible. Like I said, I, I don't, I don't re necessarily read solid books as much. I do a lot of the audio stuff. Man, the Bible app has, I don't even know how many translations on audio that you can just listen to. And you can roll through it. If you just want to roll through scripture, you can roll through scripture. I know when I'm trying to just punch through it, that's what I do. If I want to do a study on something, then I sit down and I read through it. So the daily stuff is usually on the Bible app or somewhere else where it's just I can get through it. And before that came around, we had the CDs, you know, some of the dramatized ones, right, where it's all cool. It's got the music and everything. And then some of the regular ones where it's just like a guy reading like, like this and it's just super monotone. Got rid of that one real quick. <laughs> but I, that's the one I had to suffer through when I was a kid because that's what my parents had on tape. Man, that was hard. So, And then the last one is connecting with other believers. A lot of people today, and I'm not faulting anybody for being home, 
in this craziness that we have going on around us now. But a lot of people today think, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be around anybody else. You know, I'm good. It's just me and God, and that's cool. Okay, good luck. You know, I find having other people around, especially other men around, that can knock me about every once in a while when, when I get out of line or, or, you know, something, that it's, it's easier. The accountability process is easier when you're in a group. And it's not necessary, again, that can be way extreme to the side, right? Where it's, oh, my goodness, no makeup, no, no dresses, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, no Jesus. So, or it can be a healthy environment. I think here at Elevate, we have a very healthy environment for that. Um, I hope you guys feel the same way. So, so one of the things for you guys who are, who, are, who are online and who are watching from home, my suggestion to you is do everything that you can to be with other believers, either on phone conferences, on video conferences, if you have them in your family or in your household, so you can share those experiences and build each other up. If you are able to get to a church or when you're able to get to a church, depending on what's happening in your area, please seek that out and find a good Bible-believing church, not one that thinks that Brahma and other monotheistic gods are, are all cool. So the next question is, how can I determine if something is not from God? Well, if we go back and we actually look at Scripture, there's a test. So I'm going to read this for you, and I want you to think about it. So the test is this. This is First uh, John. So it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, meaning the ones that do not confess. Uh, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. So, again, this, this is, again, first century. So the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. How much worse is it now, Right? 2,000 years later. So I, I, was, I was trying to figure out, and I was bouncing this off the wife, how do, we, how do we determine, you know, the spirit behind these lies? And she points out in her wisdom that every lie has a spirit behind it. So all you have to do is figure out how to confront that spirit. So when you look at the lie, ask the Holy Spirit, what's the spirit behind this? And then you can test it from there. Okay? So that way... No matter what it is, you can always see. Sometimes we think it's a lie, right? But it's God trying to tell us, hey, you need to, you need to deal with this, yeah. right? We're like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. That's a, that's a lie. I don't want to do that, <laughs> right? No, 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 no. It's, it's not time for that yet. I'm good. Thanks. Next week, right? No. So we got we to, gotta, you know, take a look at it and figure out what's behind it. Once you figure out what's behind it, then you know how to attack it, and you can move from there. You can create that battle plan. You can ask the Holy Spirit, what do I do? And if you need help... Seek help. So that's where we're at. Resources. There are a few different resources that I've listed here. The first one is a book by Robert Henderson called Courts of Heaven. Uh, even Pastor Kevin has talked about this, and he's referenced this book, how everything is legal, and the enemy works on a legalistic platform, very similar to a courtroom. And that's how Robert Henderson breaks it down. So if you read those books, and you can view his stuff on YouTube, that he talks about exactly how you can go about that, how you plead the blood over that, not just yourself, how you can do it over family members that are uh, under your care, 
whether that's your children or it's your, your parents or your brothers and sisters, you have some, if you have some, any authority within their life, you can do certain things for them. They have to do certain things themselves, but you can do some things for them. That's a great resource, Robert Henderson and his book. It's actually a series of books, Courts of Heaven. There's Courts of Heaven, and then there's like breakdowns from there. The other one is Sozo Inner Healing. For those of you who aren't here, the Sozo website, if you go to that, it'll be in the description box on the YouTube video, but it's BethelSozo.com, S-O-Z-O. There's Sozo groups all throughout the country who will help you with this and take you through an inner healing session. Um, It's not too dissimilar from what we do here. Pastor Kevin specifically offers inner healing sessions here, and he put out a challenge, I think it was last week, that anybody who needs it, sign up with Shelly. She's over there. He wants to do as many inner healings this year as he can, and I've been through it, and I'm telling you, it's great, okay? Uh, I won't name any names, but I watched somebody who walked out of there look like they got hit by a truck because they'd been through so much. I'm pretty sure I looked similar when I came out, but, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to observe yourself. So, and it was in a good way. It's not like he got hit by a truck in a bad way. It was in a good way because he hadn't realized what he was carrying and, and the things that were happening within his life. And in going through that session with him, he was able to discern a lot of those lies and problem areas and, and get rid of the baggage that goes with it. And a lot of that is generational. Especially if you're like, why am I doing this? I don't, this isn't me. What's going on? All right, so in closing, we're going to do a prayer uh, that I hope will challenge you guys. And, and if you're, I'm telling you, if you're not ready for, for the lies, to confront those lies, you better mumble watermelon or something because when you do this, it's exactly what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit is going to start revealing that to you. Okay, so let's get ready and go through this. Father, I know that you love me and that you want what is best for me. You desire a deeper relationship with me as your son or daughter. I know that in order to gain that deeper relationship, I must confront the lies that I believe. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to expose the lies that I believe so that we can deal with them through your guidance and wisdom. Thank you for loving me as I am and showing me how to deepen our relationship. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I know it's a little shorter than Pastor Kevin goes, but, uh, you know, it's getting used to this stage. What was that? Did I hear a hallelujah back there? Okay. Okay, so for those of you that are watching by live stream, we thank you for coming with us and, and uh, being here today, and I promise you that Pastor Kevin will be back next week, so uh, things will be back to normal. All right, so we're going to do one quick uh, prayer of blessing before we go. So, Father, I thank you for the love and the joy that your love brings into our lives. I declare your blessing and protection upon your people as we depart today and throughout the week. Fill us with your love that we may bless others through it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us.
and have a great week, and, a, and uh, be, God bless, okay? Thank you. Love never fails, you may.